Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. My name is Chris Chafin. My name is Ken Chadley. The, yeah, usually say one of the hosts, but we'll cut that part when I just said uh, out. I was waiting for that. <laughs> well, I think it, look, I refuse to be dragged down, Caleb. I have good energy. I have positive energy. It's so great to talk to you. I'm very excited to talk Big about vibes. these movies today. Big, yeah, they are. Uh, you know what? I love directors. That's a thing we establish on this uh, good movie <laughs> podcast. And we are talking about two of the all time best white men in the world. Uh, yeah. Two of the best. Two of the best white men. Um, so when in, it depends on if you think Italian people are white. If you asked a person in 1911, they might have said something different. Um, True. So, yeah, every episode on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk to you about two movies. One of them is old, one of them is new, and they're related in some way, even if it seems crazy, like a, a film to a director's filmography. You know what I'm saying, Caleb? This is this. Um, yeah, uh, we're talking, looking at uh, fun, weird pivots uh, from directors. Uh, uh, there, it's a fun example. Uh, the one... Currently new in the theater is uh, P.T. Anderson. The great P.T. Anderson has a new, it's an event. We get to go see his movies. He's Licorice Pizza starring uh, two unknown actors. It's fun. It's great. Uh, what you do in P.T., I love breaking it down. And then one of P.T. Anderson's heroes, one of our heroes, uh, the great Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese, uh, in God. his career in the late 80s, was going through some shit. Uh, got to make this movie called After Hours, which hopefully we've all seen and great because we're going to uh, dissect it. It's a... Fun ass movie from uh, Marty uh, at a weird time in his career. Uh, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about these <laughs> movies. Uh, I have examples of other things. We're going to talk. That seems great, Caleb. You make it sound <laughs> thrilling, and I cannot wait to do it. Um, that's all this week on actually best choice smoothies. Smoothies, smoothies. actually smoothies. <laughs> Before we get to any of that this week, we're talking, so yeah, we're talking about um, this new movie from P.T. Anderson, this kind of like teen romance, I mean, from a certain way of looking at it, movie, Licorice Pizza, and also After Hours, this kind of like present day nightlife comedy from Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was your pairing idea, Caleb, and I I, th I definitely can see it, and I, because they're, they're like, like you're saying, there are movies that are because I think directors like these, like they're always having fun when they make a movie. So you can't say like, oh, this is the one where <laughs> That's they're having why they're fun. Because yeah. they're always having fun, right? But they're movies where they're just a little different than their other movies. I mean, there is, mm -hmm. like Licorice Pizza obviously is like a movie set in the 70s, which is not unusual for P.T. Anderson. <laughs> but um, it is like a, it's it's different. It is somehow different than some of his other movies, right? It just has a yeah, different tone, coming off you know? Of uh, yeah, especially coming off of uh, Phantom Thread, uh, and even maybe uh, it was a little bit wackier movie, Inherent Vice, but still uh, very much uh, p like a yeah, drug-addled uh, Thomas Pynchon adaptation that only P.T. Anderson could uh, reach the scale of. Uh, and yeah, I we mean, really hate talking about. Movies, I, I hate that movie. Do you like that movie? Uh, yeah, you could like. Uh, uh, we're not going to get talked about that movie, but you could say that about okay. a lot of P.T. Anderson right, movies. Fine. Like, oh, that one's his weird one. Uh, like right. Chris mentioned, like, oh, I thought 
Punch Drunk Club was his weird one. I was like, oh, I thought um, before this, uh, Boogie Nights was his weird one uh, because I thought that was his finest movie. But I don't know. This takes a lot of elements of P.T. Anderson, Licorice Pizza does, and just, uh, you know, gets to like, be more confident about the shakier elements of it, like leads we don't know about and just indulging in the 70s and the, and the Californianess of it. And it, it, we're going to break about it, but it's great. Uh, and with uh, After Hours, uh, there's a story there, uh, which we'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll mention of why how its production got made. But yeah, this was 1985 Scorsese movies. This was coming after uh, Raging Bull was in the early 80s. Uh, and then, yeah, he uh, was supposed to be making Last Temptation of Christ and they got circumstances got uh, Paramount just dropped it. And so he needed to do a movie and he's like, I need to just relax and do something weird and independent. And he got to do this. And then like, this is 85 before he did like Goodfellas and Casino. He's made like a weird, fun comedy. Uh, it's kind of, it's only that he could do it. It's great. And it sticks out in his filmography. I think it's a better example of what I'm going at. Uh, but there are other great examples out there. I wrote down some, maybe you could have some too. Uh, but Hitchcock's <laughs> Trouble with Harry, which is uh, his black comedy that he did. I'm not really and familiar with Kubrick, that movie, Caleb. The great tell me, like, what, making what, these big. Well, let me, tell, me, tell me about the Trouble with Harry. Like, what, 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 uh, what is that movie about? Trouble with Harry, which uh, if you go to our Criterion subscribers, uh, they it's hit Mary Hitchmas. There are a bunch of uh, Hitchcock movies on there now, so you could go and uh, watch it. But it's his closest oh, thing true? to That's comedy. Cool. It stars uh, 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 Shirley MacLaine. Uh, it's like they find uh, a corpse uh, and like they, they have to like unravel what happened to this corpse. And it's like, uh, which sounds like a very Hitchcockian plot. I don't know to say about it, but like the way it's like, uh, I mean, the script is funnier. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't know the, who wrote the script, but, uh, uh, but it's like, but not like just a, uh, the town wonders. It's like a, they go through like the town. There's a, uh, like a, an old sea captain who found the body and, I don't know, it's just, uh, like, there's a lot of, like, bigger, older characters that, like, old sea captain and, like, a, 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 a like, an old cowboy sheriff. Uh, yeah, it's, that's it's just funny. very much yeah. like a Hitchcock No, movie I've never seen maybe, it. I mean, I love Hitchcock movies. making fun movies, of himself yeah. a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're, like, I, I'm, I'm watching every single one I haven't seen on Criteria this month. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, are you uh, really? That's really fun, yeah. I used to watch to, them yeah. a lot when I was a little kid, like, my mom. I've only seen a couple, watch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Kubrick, who does these big epic movies, like I would say, Scorsese does epic movies, and to an extent, PT does these epic movies. But uh, Kubrick, I would say, Doctor Strangelove is an epic movie, but still, like comparatively so to like uh, his very important movies. It's I love Doctor Strangelove; it's one of my all-time favorite movies. But it's a very silly movie from Stanley Kubrick. It's amazing because of that. It's a bunch of performances. Uh, it kind of sticks out. Um, yeah, his movies are usually uh, not silly. I mean, it is funny because yeah. in a certain way, Doctor Strangelove is like his, to some people, his most famous movie. So it's like, sure, it, sure. it's like that is what a Stanley Kubrick movie is to many, many people. So, but but it also at the same time, I know what you mean that when you look at it in relation to the rest of his movies, it is a little bit yeah, different. Like it is a lot. Or Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. And I always think it's more. It's very much more like of its time. And then I mean, I know his movies are always engaged with their time mm-hmm. in a certain way, but something about that movie just mm-hmm. it feels like a TV show from the '60s, you know, or like a comedy. I think the comedy from that era yeah, of the Veep '60s was didn't age then, particularly yeah. well. Yeah, I don't know, but um, I mean, obviously, it's a yeah. fantastic movie, like you're saying. But yeah, is it does it does it feel like Barry Lyndon or 2001: A Space Odyssey or even yeah, yeah. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut? You know. 
no, it does not feel like those movies. And maybe that's uh, to the point of like what we're getting at really is like good artists, good directors uh, are capable of like challenging themselves. And uh, yeah, like I, I was like after seeing this licorice pizza, I was like, I'm proud of PT to just be like, oh, cool. I could make something smaller, a different scale and still have like the same great emotional output, which we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't want to jump ahead because I wrote down a bunch, but we can jump ahead if you would. I'll, I'll, yeah, uh, please. But yeah, yeah, right. Go for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a movie I wanted to pair it with just because P.T. Anderson loves Robert Altman's those sweeping shots. Uh, there's a movie called O.C. and Stiggs, which not a lot of people have seen that Altman did. It is a teen comedy that's Altman did. So it's not funny at all, but like there's an amazing car in it. A, like it's a giant monster truck wheels on like a Camaro. Uh, and it has a weird name, I forget it. But yeah, uh, Paul Dooley's the dad in it. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of a bunch of rich assholes, which is like what teen movies were like: rich asshole kids uh, <laughs> trying to get laid. Uh, and it's an Altman comedy. And there's like even like a Duffman intro for these peep kids, like "Oh, see, and Stiggs. weird ass movie." <laughs> Robert Altman. And, that's so fucking weird. Uh, that sounds yeah, fantastic. I've not, that- not seen that movie. Yeah, it's hard to track down, and I've, I've watched it. It's bad. It's actually one of the first Altman movies I've seen. It's like, I don't know if I like Altman. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's fun to work with a director as a filmmaker. But one that I, I know that we've all seen that we could talk about, I think it's a great movie and shows how great of a director he is because all his movies are fantastic. Uh, Richard Linklater did School of Rock, which really found uh, and elevated the art of Jack Black, who is an amazing performer. Uh, and that really was just like a perfect match for him and him like directing it perfectly and uh, like it's not my favorite movie, but it's a for what that it's like a children's movie to an extent too. It's perfect for what it is. <laughs> I mean, it has it has had a very long life. I can only imagine how mm-hmm. much money that has made Richard Linklater because it's been a Broadway show for like a decade now or something. And I think they have yeah, it like uh, all over the world too. So I can and he must be making a mm-hmm. fucking mint on the School of Rock these days. Hopefully. Yeah, but it's a fun a movie. I, commercial movies under his belt. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to always love it because I it was some of it was filmed at North Six in Williamsburg, which doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. But I used that was like the first place oh, I ever sure, worked yeah. in New York City, and uh, it was yeah, it was just you know fun to imagine that that movie had been filmed there. <laughs> uh, we could wrap it up because I could just go on all day, but like uh, it doesn't also have to happen where like directors don't have this. Like I was even like looking at directors like, Oh, do they have it? Like there's nothing like Soderbergh. You could just pick your poison for like, what's his weird movie. Uh, uh, but when I was doing some research, like the Coen brothers too, like, Oh, all their movies are weird, but I would say the one weirdest Coen brothers credit. And it's not, if you want to pick a movie, it might be the lady killers, but they actually did the uncredited rewrites for bad Santa both of them, both Ethan and Joel. I did not know that's that until doing research. Funny. I was like, oh, that's probably... And I love that too. That's <laughs> Terry's Wygott movie. Well, uh, I think if you yeah, include um, people... if Well, if you include, Caleb, people that are doing uncredited rewrites, I think you would be shocked. Like, basically, everybody sure, has worked sure, sure. on the worst crap you could possibly imagine, like 100%. That's, that's very true, yeah. I yeah. wouldn't call... Uh, Bad Santa crap. It is the season. I can't wait to watch Bad Santa. <laughs> now that I, I'm I mean, uh, not a, it's not for me. Let's say it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I would encourage everyone to look at your direct, director's filmography and just like play with it. Like, oh, look, like maybe they took it for financial reasons, like with School of Rock or something. Where uh, this really, like, I think we picked two examples here that were just being like, oh, I really need to like challenge myself in a different creative manner. And there's like reason. It's, it's fun, like just to to read about it and do it. And we'll talk about it. Uh, but it's awesome that directors get to do art, which is why I love talking about movies. 
It fucking rules. And speaking of talking about movies, let's talk about a movie specifically. Um, sure. Our first movie this week is 2021's Licorice Pizza. Beat that brother's together. Though she's lived it ten times or more. Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eyes of fools. You're not my director. They ask her to focus on. Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. If there's a film lover in your life this holiday season, um, especially, let's be honest, if they are a man, they are probably very excited about the movie Licorice Pizza. Everybody is excited about this film. It's crazy. It's the only thing, I mean, anybody was talking about Caleb. I was saying to Caleb earlier that it's, it's funny that we're only getting to the show now, the movie now, because we both saw it like two full weeks ago, which is very unusual for us. But um, hopefully, you know, you've either just seen it or maybe you're going to see it soon. Um, anyway, this is the new film from Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars uh, Alana Hyam and Cooper Hoffman. Hoffman, of course, is the son of uh, frequent PTA collaborator Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, which I actually didn't know until after I saw the movie, but it made a lot of sense once I... Because he has the same kind of energy as... Mannerisms, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, and as, also he looks... His physicality is kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very, very interesting. Um, of course, he is not the only Hollywood royalty in the movie. <laughs> Steven Spielberg's daughter has a small part. Um, Both of and, two daughters, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there are cameos from all kinds of people. Sean Penn, Bradley Cooper, Maya Rudolph. A great turn from John Michael Higgins, <laughs> who you know from <laughs> the Christopher Guest movies. He does some really surprising, funny stuff in this movie. Uh, and Tom Waits, who I usually hate, but he was pretty good in this movie. It's a sprawling but deceptively tightly plotted movie set in the early 1970s. The heart of the movie is this relationship between Hoffman and Hyam. Uh, Like he's an assertive teen who's in love with her uh, at least sometimes. And she's a drifty 20 something who's surprised to be like on a date with a 15 year old, but also like kind of enjoying being on a date with a 15 year old. Um, they, during the movie, it's like they grow closer and then they grow further apart and they, um, have all these kinds of LA things happen to them. Like they go on TV shows, they have like weird encounters with movie stars in the middle of the night. They like volunteer for politicians. And of course they open a waterbed business, (laughs) a very successful waterbed business. Um, but really the magic of this movie is like, it's the relationships between these characters and everything that we're seeing them do is teaching you more about who they are and how they relate to each other. Um, and the performances are, are fantastic. Another thing that's so remarkable about this movie is its willingness to be just a little uh, aimless in a time where everyone is obsessed with everything being as plot driven as possible. Um, so it's just a truly strange, amusing little movie that, about some remarkable people, and they really don't make them like this anymore. Caleb, what what did you think about Licorice Pizza? Yeah, it's a great movie. It's simultaneously epic and incidental in its plot. Like, yeah, it's like kind of messy. And it's like daisy chaining all these like episodes together. It's not really much of a shape outside of the two leads relationship. Like that's informing everything that's going on in the movie, and that's by design. It has to be by design because if you look at what his other every other movie is that's so intricate and uh i did see this twice in theaters because i wanted to get crazy high because i thought it was a good stoner movie it's a pretty good stoner movie because it's so like intricate like i wish i wasn't this high because there's a bunch of stuff i missed like a lot of scenes would end and then you would see it come back in the next scene or like a couple scenes later 
just like seeds, plot, plant their seeds. It's, it's very, 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 he's PT actually. It's a good movie. That being said, and I do want to get this out of the way, it's just because I don't want to talk about it really. The, the age gap issue, which uh, I was surprised <laughs> yeah. to learn people had. Like, one, the movie constantly references, it makes note of it's okay that it's more about the actual characters and the age gap. Like, you, I would say anyone who's put off by the age gap is foreseeing this movie. That's very prudish and uh, grow up <laughs> and also go see a goddamn movie because it's about the actual people in the movie. Uh, and they references like there's even like, a, 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 like we said, the cameos like Sean Penn has a cameo where he's a much older man uh, preying on a girl. So that's also it. But like, yeah. And like somehow that like, seems worse, even though Alana Haim is supposed yeah. to be like 25. It's like Sean Penn is like mm-hmm. 60, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that seems and, way like, grosser than her mm-hmm. and Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Like uh, that seems okay. And it's, it's sure he's fifteen, he's minor, but again, again, they do reference that. She says it explicitly. I think it's weird, uh, but that's what it is. It ultimately lets it be a character choice. As Alana is like a twenty-five-year-old, like Alana is a twenty-five-year-old looking for answers, uh, like drifting around, and she's kind of finding one in this kid who's like Gary, who is another character, who's a great character. This movie is built on these two great characters. He's a fifteen-year-old. He's already moving on to like a new chapter in his life. He's looking for like more stability. Like we, we kind of reference right. his dad. We never see his dad. He's also like growing out. Of, he's a famous kid actor. He was in like the Years, Mine, and Hours movie. Under One Roof is what they call it. This movie. Um, yeah. um, Under One Roof. He's, oh, I did a couple uh, sketches in New York too. Um, yeah, he's an actor, but he's like kind of moving out of it. There's a great, that's weird. Chris referenced Maya Rudolph is in this movie. She's the casting director who like, oh, this is the... One scene just looks at him. Yeah, good job, kid. He has to do a Sears commercial. But anyway, he's moving on from to hustle to other things. Chris mentioned their waterbed salesman. This kid Gary does so much. I love this kid. Fucking Gary. And they're fucking uh, badasses. Like I love it. Like they're always making yeah. a choice, and they're always making a choice that is like fucking nuts. Like they're always doing because they they set them up to be so responsible and driven, but then several times over the course of the movie they'll do something mm-hmm. that's crazy, which is like really it's fun. Like, it's really fun, and it's so like yeah. teen, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I like. That and as far as like the, the romantic part of it too, like PT actually gets that it's like an impossible relationship that they're like aiming for. Like they're ten years apart. He's a kid, but they're building it up and like even outright saying as much by keeping apart. Like they're apart. They're not together until like 99% of this movie, they get together at the end right. of the movie. At the very, as in the last yeah. second of the movie, they, they it, get together. It's wonderful. Like, so like this movie really knows what it is and like what they're doing and just allows the characters to exist. And it's awesome. And even like, from, I just thought, go ahead, go I, ahead. Oh, I just, I, I love the whole structure of, of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're talking about that. They're not actually together. Because I, I think that that is so true to life of being this age. Like, I certainly remember being a teenager and having people that I was, like, not going out with, but I was, like, kind of going out with them in this way, you know? Yeah, and just never quite knowing how to, feelings. like, never quite knowing how to make it, like, happen in, in the way that I wanted yeah. it to happen, you know? And I, I thought yeah, that was a very uh, honest thing. Like, they, there's a bunch of times in this movie, they a character asks one of them, like, is that your girlfriend? And then they just go, No. No. <laughs> um, like, so, so, and, so, uh, so, how long you guys been together? We're not together. <laughs> we're not together. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, and th- they established, just speaking of the structure, like from moment one, it's a hell of an opening scene. Uh, that was probably my biggest takeaway after seeing it the second time. Was like, that's a fucking hell of a opening scene. We're establishing the tone. We're it's uh, the opening scene. I should say is. Uh, Gary's getting his school picture taken, and a lot of works at the shitty job of peop- uh, having to offer uh, mirrors and combs to kids getting their picture taken. And he just hits on her, 
Uh, and it's like this kid's out of the league, but he's just always doing it. You get to hear all his backstory about he's an actor. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it enters us to these two characters. It, like it's absolutely creating the hinge that this movie's going to swing back and forth on. Ends with uh, Alana being a little bit flattered and like walking back and smiling after like Gary. Like, she's like she's just kind of flattered that like uh, anyone's like flirting with her. Like this kid likes her. Like that's cool. And then a very cool thing happens. Not in real life, but uh, movie wise, uh, her boss smacks her on her ass and her smile just goes away. Uh, yeah. And just being like, Oh wait, it, she went from being flattered by this kid. Like this kid who's like really showing genuine interest in her to being like, Oh, men out there suck too. And there so was like this not thing... being, yeah. Being worshiped and not oogled is like nice to have. And they show you her, you know, one, they show you her home life and it's like, mm-hmm. and especially the first time they show it to you, it seems very chaotic and like nobody likes her and she's like so maladjusted. And and it's just like the thing you're saying about her boss smacking her on the ass where you kind of, you're given to understand like, okay, she doesn't have someone in her life that's like this, you know, she needs somebody to like, just listen to her and, you know, know her and they value her yeah. it's, and it's like she doesn't have that you know uh which i should mention that her family her is played by her real life family her dad her mom and her two so sisters fucking who are crazy. Also in the band i mean of course yeah, the thing we haven't so said is right obviously alana's in this band Hyam. it's her to her and her two yeah. sisters and it's so it's been so weird because they're going on tour again now and like having seen licorice pizza now to see her just as like one of the girls in the band mm-hmm. it's like i'm like you're a movie star what are you doing <laughs> you know like uh when we uh, when I was pitching Chris ideas for the show, I was like, "Oh, well, she's a movie star. Uh, she's a rock star. We should do another rock star movie. We should do a David Bowie movie or something." But, yeah. but she is really that good in this movie. I, and I, she I is really a real just, rock star from yeah. before this. Like, for I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know how familiar people are with her, but you know, they you were like the original her, members yeah. of Taylor Swift's squad. <laughs> I'm, if you remember, yeah, their record pulled up on their own. I'm not not my tempo, but uh, amazing musicianship, great pop songs, uh, and that's how P.T. Anderson, like, that's how he. Uh, he heard a song, couldn't get it out of his head. Said, "Hey, I'll direct your videos." Directed a bunch of the videos. Uh, Lana always stands out with him because she has a great presence. A lot of people, they have a, the band in general has a good presence, but Lana saw that in her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're very showbiz. They're with, uh, very. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, it was, just to speak to the other casting, another for, uh, big t- first time acting, uh, Cooper Hoffman. Like he's he was said he was very protective. Like he he obviously knows and very close with the family of the Philip Seymour Hoffman and. Uh, like he said, he thought of him, but he wouldn't have asked him if he knew he couldn't do it. Which is just like that's such a vision as a director to like yeah, yeah. know what you got uh, as your at this point is just his friend, <laughs> this kid who's his friend. <laughs> uh, blah, 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 blah. We're getting out to the thing, but uh, to talk about the movie a bit, uh, to talk about the character of Alana, Alana Kane, if her name is the movie, goes by the same name. Um, that's pretty funny, a, actually. That that's yeah. pretty silly that they gave her the same first name. I mean, obviously yeah. well, the part was written helps, for her, helps. you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it uh, helps, but, right? Uh, when you're a non-professional actor, it helps. Uh, what broke it for me for the character to help really understand her is she's a a, a bit of a fame chaser. Uh, that's why she like first initially is into Gary at first. Gary says, "How do you?" You asked me how I got my money. I didn't tell you. I get my money with acting. Uh, and she does go on this date with him, uh, and then he ends up asking her to be a chaperone on her, and uh, like they are like having this first time in an airplane scene, like, how's the, how's, how's the chicken? This also your bacon is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. <laughs> um, and then there is, uh, she goes to uh, New York and watch him does his New York stage. But then there's also uh, a, 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 another great cameo, if you want to say a great cameo. Our man, Skylar Gazzano, you know, from Righteous Gemstones and uh, motherfucking Booksmart. He's in, he steals his, uh, everyone steals their scenes this way, but he steals scenes in uh, 
licorice pizza. Skylar Gazondo. He's this kid named Lance, who's also the oldest kid. Oh, and right. of course, that guy. Morgan. And he's in Santa Clarita Diet also. Oh, yeah. He's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, Skylar great. Gazondo. He's love great. love. He fucking rules. He does actually kind of a big part in this movie, and he is really Mm -hmm. funny. Yeah, as like the real piece of shit, like super hot kid Mm -hmm. from the really lame and embarrassing child thing that he was acting in, right? (laughs) Uh, That's also a good part where we get to see a little bit of Alana because he invites Alana invites this uh, hunky actor over to uh, dinner, which they're uh, a practicing Jewish family. The Jewish dad asks him to say grace. He goes, "No, I'm an atheist." Uh, yes. and this big thing, and she gets to be mad at him. A uh, very funny scene, and then that I think that's when I first started like, oh, I fucking love Alana. She's great. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple other instances. Like obviously, uh, I mentioned that she, uh, there's a Sean Penn subplot that she's he's Sean Penn plays a big actor. He plays uh, his name is Jack Holden, which is clearly based off of the actor William Holden. But yeah, of course, she wants to like be with this guy and that's a big scene with uh they go to gary's restaurant blah 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 but yeah there's another example uh we didn't mention that uh probably my favorite person who is a entity in this movie you have your sean pens you have your uh ollie's uh the great benny safty who's getting some great acting oh my roles. god benny uh, safty in this Joel movie Locks. right yeah like what the fuck benny safty is in this movie Kansman, and he's yeah. really good yeah. And he's playing, he's he's, actor, he almost yeah. seems like a not, he almost seems like a non-actor. He seems like he has this I know, but really it's, it's, it's good crazy 70s how much, like, movie. He, he knows vibes. I mean, I think that's what it is too. Uh, I mean, he, uh, Spirit Award nomination for uh, Good Time, which is, I think he's very good in. No, but I think uh, he he's one of the great things American in this movie. Woman. He's just, he, he just got announced to be in Oppenheimer, the next Nolan movie. Great acting credits he's pulling on he's bringing, he's bringing this energy in this movie that was, because this movie isn't just like a movie set in the 70s. It's like a movie that was made in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, and he's I playing a real life character, uh, Joel Wax. Joel Wax. Joel Wax. Based off a real person. It is a real name, Joel Wax. The way that his character, the uh, way that he is playing his character in the movie, ha- is like the kind of person. Well, I mean, it's in like Taxi Driver, right? There's this whole thing with the the candidate, but it's always the sure. person who's playing the candidate is always kind of weird. They always kind of don't seem like they're a real actor or something, you know. So I think he's bringing that exact energy to this movie, mm-hmm. which is great. I think, and it works for the plot. It's like obviously Alana, he's a politician, and Alana was like, "I want to be political now," which is very funny, uh, and decides to be with him through another guy who's obviously so into her, but she doesn't see this other guy because she's so into the fame aspect of it. It's a very good scene. It's actually helped culminates the movie too, but that's what this movie is. It's just a bunch of like scenes that are introduced with a character. uh, And then we get to be like, Oh, okay. That's how these characters are where, where they're at right now. And they, there's like so many betrayals and back and forth in this movie. And that you just feel for both of them so much. We're like, no, Gary, go be with her. She's like into you right now. What are you doing right now? And then Alana would be like, yeah, that's your, I get it a lot. You move away. He's a 15 year old kid. Just, it's okay. Uh, and then like, no, I want them to be together. I don't care if they're together. And then it just ping pongs back and forth through ultimately like very, very funny things. Like that's why uh, or I, uh, I picked it, the theme for what it is. Cause I think it's line for line, his funniest movie and maybe most considered a comedy. That's only because Boogie Nights has a, uh, death and sad scenes <laughs> yeah but i think you know I, much sadness <laughs> I mean the difficulty of this this schema for these for the the episode of like outlier movies or whatever is i think pt anderson is emblematic of a, of a kind of director that i think all like truly truly great directors are and that almost every single one of his movies is in a different genre 
Like they're all different kinds of things. Like Punch Trunk Love oh, is yeah. very different from the Phantom Thread, which is very different from Boogie Nights, which is very different from Licorice Pizza. You know, they're all yeah, like I would say, completely uh, different movies. Uh, which I think yeah, is that's, great. Uh, I would say they're. I won't say the word completely because there is he does touch on a lot of the uh, same uh, themes of fame or masculinity too. And Scorsese says too. I think it might be a good pairing for how they put their uh ideas as artists they're always constantly playing with two different uh aspects to like uh there's a uh, i remember it when i first saw it the electric pizza it shot at me that alana's working for gary uh in phantom thread he hired uh, uh this person to work for him and they had a relationship so i was like oh that's his uh two movies about relationships and power dynamics and a few uh like things just pop up like that in a in a for, for directors it's cool and fun and um yeah obviously like pt anderson's doing different things all the time because that's why he's one of the best ever to do it at this point which is crazy because i mean quentin tarantino also does the same thing but he also has the same panache and flair and camera movements and all that stuff and he's a director who doesn't have i would say fits to anything is weird for him to do but with this one yeah. like with licorice pizza it just it is funny felt like it's more for funny. himself yeah it's very funny uh, i think Boogie Nights might be funnier, but it's also like fucked up too, which I love Boogie Nights. This movie has a lot lighter tone than Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, definitely like, Boogie it's Nights is funny, industry. but a lot of it, <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is like, um, you know, this movie, everything, it, it, everything works out, you know, and you just kind of have the sense throughout the movie that everything is going to work out. Like even down to the tiniest little thing, like nothing bad happens for very long in this movie. Which is mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, it's very it, nice. It's it's a it's a movie. It's I think it's like over the course of a year, maybe like two seasons. Uh, there's a bunch of cameos and drop-ins from big movie stars. It's very episodic in nature, so the plot can yeah. wane depending on your response to each situation. It's not a bad thing. It's but I think that's very much a comedy thing. Like you don't like more in comedy, you, you don't write for the scene, you write for a uh, situation. But uh, since it's P.T. Anderson, it's a fun to dig it's fun for him to dig deeper into like the whole shagginess of the movie too. Uh, and he ultimately does that with like, just, you know, those little drops of like great cameos and uh, has that thread to pull in and just performance wise. He's always a great, gets great performances of, which we could talk about how everyone great is. We talked about the two uh, leads a little bit. If you ever want to say anything more about them, there's a bunch of other great people in this movie. I mean, well, I just have to say like, there is just something in the performance of, of the two leads that is just amazing. I mean, Alana Haim mm-hmm. is like, you cannot take your eyes off her. She's just doing such like real, she's, she appears to be having real emotions and thoughts constantly and is behaving in this unselfconscious way on Good Lord, yeah. It's so rare, you know, it's so rare to see. And mm-hmm. the same, the same it, for Hoffman. He's, he's also being behaving and he looks in a way and he behaves in a way you really hardly ever see on film. And it's so, fascinating to watch and it's so compelling yeah and and the two of them together it's for very you know, however long this movie is it starts yeah, eight hours it's great two hours yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> like through film wise and knowing how these movies work usually a, a male protagonist and the movie starts off with more of his perspective uh but the film ultimately lands that relationship because it starts off with Gary, but then you realize by the end, it's about Alana. It's a very accurate depiction of being 25 years old and not knowing what to do with your life. Uh, she's like the youngest one in her family. Her two sisters are there and older than her. Uh, she's still very much growing up. And 
when we shifts more to her perspective, we see what she sees in Gary. <laughs> like she sees him as another person looking oh, for, for that sure. Adult life. Gary, like, Gary seems is, like a fucking uh, rocket. He's wearing, a rocket to the moon, brother. Like you know, he's, he's a fifteen year old wearing play acting. He's getting shit done, uh, putting on these big suits, looking like that. And they're both like kids growing up, uh, and they really like are growing up together. Is what was really makes this movie great. Like wanting to grow up and. Like, it's kind of a movie from a lot of perspectives. Like, she's failing a little bit, too. Gary helps lift her up through that, too. And they also have the actual dynamic of, like, this is dumb. We're just friends. Uh, it's fun to make a movie out that, about that. <laughs> um, and there's, like, a lot of movies speaking about, like, people wanting to be adults. And they, they do encounter a lot of adults in this movie who make adulting, adulthood seem not appealing. Uh, like we mentioned <laughs> uh uh, Sean Penn, William Holden character who gets get drunk and ri- drives a motorcycle around to impress a bunch of strangers. Uh, there's a Lucille Ball surrogate who was such a dick to everyone <laughs> in this movie. The great cameo in it. A very fun, you forget you love Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper playing John Peters, the real He's life John Peters so who good. sucks in real life. Doing a probably yeah. accurate description of how much this guy sucked. Holy shit, is it funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Bradley Cooper's really, really funny um, being this absolutely complete piece of shit guy that is com- always hitting on everyone around him. But in this way, it's like he's just like a like an animal, you know? It's like it's like he's a dog. He's like, hey, you going to eat that? Okay, well, I'm going to eat it then. But it's like with having sex with people. That's his, that's how, that's how he behaves. Um, but I really like Sean Penn's cameo. Yeah. I, I think it's so good because... Sean Penn is like, yeah, playing this movie star, like you said, and it's, it's, it's hilarious because of how serious this person takes themselves, but also, you know, Sean Penn is someone who takes himself that seriously. So it's like hilarious. It's hilarious to watch, (laughs) you know, and to just think about like, what, what does Sean, like, does Sean Penn think this character is making fun of him? Because it kind of is. And like, how does he, how is he interacting with that? You know, he is a, a, an old a movie head too. Like I always hear him talk about, I mean, he named his son uh, Hopper. His son's first name is Hopper after Dennis Hopper. Oh, wow. uh, his name is Hopper Jack, his son's name, which sounds like a frog uh, after <laughs> Dennis Hopper. And I know he fucking stole my backpack. <laughs> We've talked about this before. <laughs> oh, right, right. Um, there are a great bunch of great, I do want to make a note of my favorite character in this movie. One scene, uh, uh, her name is Mary Grady. She's the talent agent. Uh, she's played by the actress Harriet Sansom Harris, who was in uh, Phantom Thread. She was a drunk someone in Phantom Thread. But uh, so the, the scene is uh, Alana wants to become an actor too. Gary's going to take her to an agent. And Gary just says to her, just say yes to everything uh, that she asks you. Uh, and so we get this scene. It starts off with her getting a phone call going, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then saying something ridiculous. <laughs> and then just saying things like, can you ride horses? Yes. Can you fence? Yes. You speak languages? Spanish. Yeah, it just keeps going more absurd, absurd. And this lady, Harry Sands of Grace, plays it so fucking funny. I was howling at this scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a steal the scene. Where, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's pretty, and, and what it's is, funny what because it's, what is acting? Reacting. It's just super reacting. Funny. It's reacting. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> do you want to move on? Do you want to move on and talk about this other movie? Uh, Are we going to talk about one more? Yeah, okay. Because you referenced it. No, you, I don't want to let it pass because... Uh, it's the Japanese accent bit from John Michael Higgins, uh, who's a oh great actor. He's killing it on this new Save by the Bell. Fucking stole scenes. Uh, if you ever seen the Dewey Cox scene, he's the producer who has this 
throws the cold water. Beautiful actor. One of the great gets the joke actors of time. Chris mentioned he's in Christopher Guest movies. So um, he owns a string of Japanese restaurants. Uh, and he has a Japanese wife. And he talks to her with such a big, horrible, racist Japanese accent. Oh, my God. Audible oh gasps God. in the theater. Everyone was like, Yes, people gasped doing? in my theater, too. And, because they keep, you don't know yeah. what's going to happen until the second it happens. And then when it happens, you're just, you're, you're just going like, Oh, no, 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 no. It's yeah. crude. It's trying to be provocative. And it's offensive than anything else in this happens in this movie. And it's also... Kind of funny. <laughs> uh, he's saying this racist thing, doing this thing like, oh, like it's horrible. But like, I can't, I refuse to even enough. do an impression of what it, it is. Long you know? like, of course, don't do it. I could, I'm a half Asian. I'll do it uh, for it. Uh, so he, he does it long enough. We're just like, oh, wait, he's fucking sucks. He's stupid. And at the end, what sold it for me, like, okay. Oh, he just does this <laughs> weird, awkward squeal. <laughs> uh, and P.T. Anderson, uh, there's a New York Times interview with him. That he talked about, they asked him about that scene. He's like, yeah, it's, that's what they did in the 70s. That's what I wanted to make it feel like a 70s movie. He's like, he's not wrong. They did that all the time in the 70s. I, yeah, I watched Charlie Varick totally this week. Uh, there is a scene in that there uh, that referenced it. And if also... Uh, it still happens this day. It's also truthful. Uh, uh, white men talk to Japanese women that way. I've seen it happen. I've seen white. I've seen. I have my mom who's an Asian person. People talk to her like that. It's funny. <laughs> uh, but also, I will shout out just because I watched it. It actually, I, my heart and soul teared up at how beautiful this was. Uh, new season of Pen Fifteen. There's uh, she's a cha- half Japanese character, and there's an episode called Shadow where a character comes to visit her from Japan and. She herself, it's like all about like coming to terms with their Asianness, and like they do this basically same joke of like talking to an Asian person uh, down or like in broken English. Like I'm not speaking for every Asian person, but as an Asian person, like it's like we're just seeing you. If you're playing it for like you yourself looking stupid and like showing how people can be stupid, that's a true thing. That's a thing that happens all the time, and we know that not just. Uh, white people but most people you're going to be stupid in life <laughs> like it's kind of funny that he does it in this movie uh i thought it's it was rang, weirdly yeah. truthful and kind of like wow that he put it in his movie <laughs> i it was i was definitely very surprised i think everyone in the movie theater yeah. was surprised like you're saying it shows it is showing him to be a piece of shit so it's like it's not like you're supposed to like this character you know mm-hmm. yeah they, they 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 bring him back again uh, and this and they bring him back the second time he has a new wife. It's like, oh, I got a new wife. Which is like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> he just got another wife with almost exactly the same name and made her dress exactly the same. And like, <laughs> terrible stuff. Terrible stuff. Um, but yeah, Caleb, should we move on and talk about this second movie? I... Let's do it. We've been talking about it long enough. Yeah, I can talk about it for the rest of go. my goddamn life. I can talk about it for the rest <laughs> of my life, Caleb. Um, yeah, our second movie this week is... Oh, what year is this movie from? 1985. 1985's After Hours. So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all they After Hours, when anything can happen and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? That's all there is, my friend. 
frustrated with the production and subsequent abandonment of Paramount Pictures on his film The Last Temptation of Christ, Bart Scorsese took an independent detour of sorts and made a movie from a script written by a then 26-year-old based off of a Joe Frank monologue. This film is called After Hours and takes place over the course of one night as our protagonist, Paul Hackett, sojourns down to Soho for what he hopes is a date, but is in fact a series of mishaps, miscommunications, subway fare increases, and a gaggle of posh and or unpolished New Yorkers all frantically paced together in a manner that keeps our man Paul from just getting home that night. Originally to be directed by Tim Burton, 1985 was the year his debut, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, came out. Uh, Burton gladly stepped aside after Scorsese read the script and showed interest. And the result was the most overt comedy in Scorsese's filmography, uh, with appearances by Cheech and Chong and Catherine O'Hara to underline as such. Uh, It winning two Independent Spirit Awards, as well as the best director at that year's Cannes. Uh, After Hours is a fun flex from a director more than capable of handling symbolism in a societal changes via a screwball comedy. Chris, how was your night? Caleb, After Hours, you know, it's funny. This is one of those movies that I had actually, you know, never seen, even though I've been hearing about it my entire life. And I don't know what I don't know what I thought this movie was about, but it was it was definitely I could see the logic of pairing it with uh, Licorice Pizza because it is a movie that kind of spreads out in unexpected directions, goes uh, not necessarily where you, where you think it's going to go, including in like lots of circles actually. But um, it's just kind of a fun oddity, you know. But all, obviously, it's all con- confined to like one night. <laughs> Uh, which I thought it was, you know, it's a really funny movie. It's it's a fantastic performance by Griffin Dunn, of all people. Like, talk about something that's dated. Like, yeah, having Griffin Dunn yeah, have yeah, the yeah. lead in a, uh, in a Scorsese movie. I mean, that's just completely insane. But he's great in the in the movie. They're supposedly, like, Scorsese wasn't letting, wouldn't let him go to sleep or have sex for the entire yeah. time they were shooting because he wanted him to have some kind of nervous energy. <laughs> And he like got in trouble with Scorsese for having sex one time because he could fucking tell. Marty could tell, um, which is pretty funny. I uh, mean, yeah, what to say about this movie? I mean, it is very dated in a certain way. Like there is a lot of just being like hubba hubba, <laughs> like hot ladies and a lot of like weird masculine anxiety that I it was hard for me even to understand at certain points why Griffin Dunn was mad until I had to remember like, oh, right, boomers got I didn't like the idea that they had having sex with somebody that had ever had sex with someone else before. Like that was like a thing that like guys were worried about in back in the day, but I don't know, but it's a great, it's a great movie though. It's really fun and funny. And as a, somebody who's like a Linda Fiorentino appreciator, like it was fantastic. Like I love, I love her. I didn't know that she was in this movie. Yeah. She's really good. Um, had you, has this one of those movies you've been seeing for like your entire life, Caleb? Have you seen it a million times? I saw, I saw it early, my early twenties uh, as I got into film, like Scorsese, one of the first director I, I got into, uh, yeah, I got it on like early Netflix DVD and it was, uh, I remember watching it and then buying it on DVD like very shortly after cause I loved it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's a fun plot that is like even more disassociated and hard to follow than maybe licorice pizza, maybe, um, but it's. Uh, I mentioned in my intro that uh, it was, so this is 1985, 1984, he was supposed to be making, uh, it was fully funded. They were a week away from shooting The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, Paramount pulled it. Scorsese was depressed. Uh, He was coming home and the first script he read was After Hours. I think it was called Lies or something then, but uh, he did this. He was like, I just want to make an independent movie and I just want to make 
fucking thing. See, I, I'll, I'll read the quote. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to see if I could go back and do something in a very fast way, all style, an exercise in completely in style, and to show they hadn't killed my spirit. Yeah, man, he's pulling some tricks on it. And this is also of note. It's the first time he worked with uh, Michael Ballhaus, who direct, uh, who's the cinematographer. Uh, Ballhaus uh, did a bunch of uh, Rainer Fassbender's movies in the 70s. Some other cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, first time working with Scorsese. He went on to do Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, Departed. Uh, so great relationship. And this movie has some like weird-ass shots. A lot of close-ups, uh, a lot of face close-ups, like just objects and light switches or just plaster Paris bagels. Weird stuff. And I think it does it does that to like show, like just concentrate on something. Like we're trained as an audience when something gets zoomed or closed up to be like, is that important? And there's a, a big part of this movie of, of After Hours is paranoia setting in because it just moves and keeps moving. Uh, it's constantly giving new questions instead of answers to the questions it's already asked. And it uses coincidences a lot to create this surreal atmosphere. And <laughs> you don't know what's going on, but you're following the plot to know what's going on. <laughs> it's I mean, it's almost, it's almost like a supernatural movie, right? Like it is kind of almost in the vein of something like... Very surreal, yeah. You know, Adventures in Babysitting or like The Burbs or something because there's just all this like cosmic stuff happening all the time. It could have easily been like a dumb baby, yeah, but it's but like within the hands of like, uh, like this, I mentioned the scripts from like a a young kid who was uh, Dusan Yukazev as an old school director. He was his director's assistant, wrote the script in school, and then it's based off a monologue of Joe Frank. Joe Frank, uh, people don't know, uh, did NPR in the 80s when it was more. Uh, I think he left to be go to KCRW to be like more punk rock, but he was like doing freeform weird uh, jokes and stuff. Like he's uh, helped birth the alternative comedy scene in the nineties, uh, the great Joe Frank. And they took his uh, a monologue he gave and they wrote a, a, a screenplay about it. And then Scorsese filmed a film about it. And it's as weird as it turned out. <laughs> um, That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, it does have that kind of, I, I can totally this, see yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, what did you think about the relationships between men and women in, in After Hours, Caleb? Because I did find so, myself yeah, occasionally I, a little troubled by this. Yeah, He's constantly being emasculated in this movie, and there's a bunch of uh, symbolism in it, too. Uh, like, There's even a point where he goes into a bathroom, and there's a picture of a shark eating. Bathroom graffiti is a shark eating and biting someone's erection. But yeah, uh, he goes to a woman who's like weird, and like he tries to go on this date with a girl, meets her roommate instead, who falls asleep during his story, and doesn't take him seriously and then the girl herself is like nodding one to make out with him and kind of lying or like saying weird things to him she's saying weird things to him this is caleb i are you wait i have a completely i have a completely different reading on this than you you think he's being every woman he met wants to have sex with him like every single woman he meets wants to have sex sex with him but not have but they also like she says to him well this is the first girl marcy uh says to him like Hey, this bed, I was raped here. It took six hours. It was my boyfriend. It's just like, what the hell? Uh, and then, yeah, uh, he does go on these things, but they offer also all, offer all him help that he never gets, too. That's another thing about this movie. Is like uh, yeah. a girl offers him, takes him home. Uh, uh, he has to, like, feign interest in her. It's uh, the great Terry Gar playing Verna Boom, who is uh, one of the weirder characters in this movie. I mean, like I said, Catherine O'Hara is in it. She offers him to give him a ride in her ice cream truck, and she never gives it. She ends up turning him. Both those people end up turning a mob against him it's and so they track weird. him down. There's a mob chasing him in this movie. It's so weird. And yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Just name any movie uh, woman in this movie and like, oh yeah, that's weird that that happened too. 
yeah, Linda Furatino, who Chris mentioned is Kiki Bridges, who he gives a massage to and just falls asleep. <laughs> Kiki Bridges, my friend Kiki Bridges. Kiki uh, Bridges, yeah, yeah, she's a uh, ceramicist. Like said, she's, she's an artist, you know. Um, she's like, uh, has her shirt off the time, like every scene uh, that she's in, yeah. I mentioned uh, the Marcy character, that's Rosanna Arquette, who was going, like, suddenly seeking Susan was around this time, too. So, way to be uh, downtown New York, define that era, Rosanna Arquette. They're great, Rosanna Arquette. Gorgeous in this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, and even like other, like not just women too, but uh, John Hurd, uh, a movie with John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara before Home Alone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, John Hurd <laughs> plays the bartender, bartender who like, oh yeah, I'll help you out, I'll give you change. Never actually ends up giving him change. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah, really... there's so many bars and like just the Soho-ness of it all. Like Martin Scorsese grew up in uh, New York. Fucking like, oh cool, I'll show you some weird New York things. Of course, could nail that assignment. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I mentioned yeah. that it was like Scorsese was uh, first time with Ballhouse, but like that's just like his first movie without De Niro for in, in the, since like the seventies. Like uh, the movie right before this was a movie we did on the podcast, uh, uh, King of Comedy, King which of is comedy. great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe pretends his funnier side of that he's capable of doing these fun comedies. Uh, and the movie made right after this was uh, kind of more of a traditional, like I'm taking a paycheck movie where Paul Newman won an Oscar for playing Minnesota Fat Slim or whatever. Uh, color of uh, Money. Color of Money. Color of, color uh, of Money, yeah. Christian. Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of weird... I mean, he got Howard Shore to do this score with him, and uh, the soundtrack doesn't exist, but someone put together the playlist on Spotify because that's what you do. And there's like it starts off with a Mozart and D major, that song, and then there's like Joni Mitchell songs, and ba- there's a Bad Brain song, I think, at one point in the movie. Rules, rules. And of course, Marty, I mean, one of the great, I mean, this is a great New York movie. We can't move on without saying mm-hmm. that. Like, it, it takes place over one night in New York City. You know, watching it at this point in the pandemic and, you know, in my own life as a dad where I'm not, I wouldn't be going out as much anyway. But it, it's it's great. It's great to see. It's a great look into the kind of New York like you and I have both been in at one point or another in our lives, if not right now. <laughs> And uh, it was just like the great, you know, the fucking, I mean, this is so cheesy to talk about all this stuff, but these places are real and they're great. And that's one of the things that's great about New York, you know, like all night diners or whatever. But I mean, we don't even really have them anymore. I, I mean, things in New York are open till four, like bars are open till four and they're like oh, I really got, I open. I got an all night diner. I got my diner. I go to, I got a, I got a. I would like Neptune over there. Is, is, Neptune, is that? hell yeah, you know it. Yeah, Neptune. I didn't know they were it's open 24 not, hours. Not, it's not good, but it's open. It's okay. It is. Yeah, it is open for sure. Um, but it's and you know, whatever cabs. One of the things I actually like about this uh, movie that I thought was like really New York is Griffin Dunn. Like it's right at the beginning of the movie and he loses his money in the cab. And, uh, he says, he just pulls this move where he, he says to the cabbie, like, Oh, I'm sorry. My money fell, fell out the window. I, I don't know what to do. I'm out of money. And the guy's like, Oh, what are you talking about? And he, he like gets out of the cab and he's like, see, look, no money. Okay. I gotta go. And then walks away. And I was like, I was like, that's the fucking most New York thing I've ever seen that actually fucking rules. Like that's a really good move. And like, what, cause what else are you going to do? You know, like there are a lot of things in this movie that are like pre um, internet age that are mm-hmm. pretty funny because one of the whole plot points is him not being able to get money out you know like he just had the cash in his pocket and then he doesn't have any more cash and there's no such thing as credit cards so like that's like very and then another thing is like there's scenes about like remembering people's phone numbers or one of the jokes that's supposed to show how old terry gar's character is is like the way that she tells him 
uh, her phone number is like an old person way to talk about your your phone number. So like all this stuff, it's like a real look into a world that doesn't exist at all anymore, um, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also a membering number scene in Licorice Pizza. There's there's the connection movies where people have to remember phone numbers. I mean, God, can you just imagine living in that world again, Caleb? I mean, where you had to remember someone's phone number. I know. That's crazy. We lived like that. I can't believe we live like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Caleb. Like, let's say, do you want to? You want to pick one of these two movies? Uh, no, I don't. This is a fucking hard choice. Uh, <laughs> it sucks. Like, it really sucks. Like, I uh, love After Hours. It's a movie that helped me uh, contextualize directors, even too, with Scorsese. I always put it in my top five Scorsese movies. Uh, which everyone's. Top five Scorsese movies different. He's the best. I love fucking Martin Scorsese. But then I fucking love P.T. Anderson. And this is like, oh, wow, P.T. showed me something new. And like I said, this Scorsese was doing something more like purely cinematic for himself too. Maybe that's what I was getting at with the thing where like they're just trying to find the art of cinema and like doing something that they really want. Like he put a Safdie brother in Licorice Pizza and then referencing all these old movie stars and old movies and putting a son of a famous movie star and uh, a person he works with in Lana Haim as a muse. He's like doing something more for himself, and it's awesome. Oh, there's even a fucking John C. Riley cameo as Herman Munster, and the credit says Herman Munster as himself. Oh yeah, John C. Riley. How could, how did we not too. mention God that? Damn, PT Anderson. Yeah. It's it's impossible to pick between these two, and I don't know if I'm going to go off the. It's basically going off the high of this new movie that's going to stick with me for a while, or uh, this old movie that just is on my bones and maybe I take for granted somewhat because it's a fucking weird martin scorsese movie you know what i'm gonna go with after hours i did say after mm. hours is in my top five scorsese movies i would say licorice pizza is maybe maybe my i don't know maybe i couldn't say it yet if it's in my top five pt anderson movies <laughs> so by that broken logic i'm going with after hours but it's an impossible choice that is uh, a bold choice, Caleb, and I respect it very much, but I am going to have to go the other direction and say uh, Licorice Pizza. I mean, After Hours was great. Maybe if I had seen it earlier in my life, I would feel differently because it does have the feel of like a movie that as a younger guy, I could have watched over and over and over again and, you know, gotten and enjoyed every time. But at, at this point in my life, at this point in in history like gotta go with licorice pizza like what a great fun movie that has so much life and so much joy and so much like complication and intelligence and is also like beautiful beautiful to look at i mean if we didn't make that clear before the shots of los i mean the shots of los angeles absolutely amazing the very end of the movie going to the credits when they're like walking down a street down a hill oh and speaking of soundtrack there good lord I mean, beautiful, beautiful stuff. I mean, this is the other thing we didn't talk about about this movie is that it is basically like propaganda for Los Angeles. Like this is <laughs> like hardcore, like a movie about like living in LA and why it's so magical, you know? And, you know, it does look great. It, it trick, looks great yeah. in the movie. You know, it does look great. Um, but yeah, I got I to go with Licorice Pizza. What a, what a great movie. Yeah, uh, it's probably already made more money than after us. It's not even fully released. It's out nationally Christmas day, but if you live in New York, LA, you could go see Licorice Pizza now. Uh, but yeah, out nationally soon. You gotta see it. You gotta Christmas see it. Day. You gotta see it in the movie theater. I saw it in 70 millimeter. It, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, which yeah. I don't know how big of a difference that makes, but it was, I, well, I had a great time seeing it in the movie oh, theater. It was cool. Yeah. So uh, with the print, like uh, the first time I saw it, was, uh, I saw it opening night. It was like, oh, cool, clean print. Awesome. And then, the next time I saw it was uh, like a week and a half later, 
and I was like, oh, I could tell it was there's some wear to the film. Like there's like a bubble and stuff. Uh, yeah, cool. That's cool. That's cool. You hear the that's cool. Film's cool. <laughs> it's cool, dude. It's cool for sure. Um, yeah, I saw it in that Village Cinemas, the Angelica East Theater. Oh, nice. But I don't know yeah, that I've ever been to theater, before. Yeah. It was funny too because oh, really? the it's movie. Good. It's a solid theater. The, it's it's a it's a like a landmark theater. It's a giant old theater from the turn of the twentieth century, and it's like uh, you know beautiful, but it's a little bit run down. And when I saw this showing of Licorice Pizza, it was I, like it's near NYU, and I think literally everyone else in the movie theater was an NYU student, and it just had this it had this kind of seventies feel to it. Like everybody was just in there talking and like hanging out with their friends. Everybody was really young, and then also like a weird thing that happened was. The time on the ticket was 7.10. Like, I swear to God, I checked it 100 times. That was the time on the ticket. And the movie didn't start until 7.30. And, like, around 7.20, I turned to the person next to me, and I was like, this is licorice pizza, right? Like, shouldn't it? Wasn't it supposed to start? And he was like, huh, I don't know. And I, was, I felt like such a fucking square. Like, I was so wound up yeah. about when the movie yeah, was supposed to start. Am I moving to the third soon, sir? You know. But then it started at 7.30 with no trailers or anything it just started which is so unusual yeah, it was just it was great it was it was like a really 70s movie going experience i really liked it that's awesome man. um yeah, but yeah that's the show for this time everybody right yeah very 70s movie director feel yeah it's cool shit i love talking about directors you love listening love about this directors shit. probably now you love it brother good. um well, so nice to talk to you caleb i think we did it yes, hooray hooray goodbye bye everybody What if we opened a smoothie shop called Actually Best Smoothies? Actually Seems Best good. Chewed Smoothies, but then you have to actually chew because it's that thick of a smoothie. Yeah, actually, it's like Troy, it's like the um, Lionel Hutz meme. It's like, actually, comma, best chewed, exclamation point.